Little Indiana Queen there with You Are Not Alone. And you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using one of those handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator devices and listening to the show on your favorite mobile listening app such as TuneIn or Next Radio. Or you could be listening up to two weeks after original broadcast date, thanks to the KZUM archives, which can be found on our website at kzum.org slash archives. And remember, the talk portions of Lavender Hill, as well as any other talk program here on KZUM, are available indefinitely thanks to our SoundCloud page for KZUM. You can find that as well by going to the programming tab on the website and... You know, just follow around. There's all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things there on the KZUM site. All righty. Speaking of wonderful things, this may not sound so wonderful at the start, but it is, in a roundabout way, kind of wonderful to know how many people really appreciate the public library system. This is an article from December 5th, 2022. Charlie Gray writing for QWERTY.com. That's Q U. E-E-R-T-Y dot com. Uh, the headline reads, LGBTQ-friendly library receives another mind-blowing donation to stay open amid homophobic protest. It's been a contentious year of back and forth for Michigan's LGBTQ-friendly Patmos Library. This mainstay library in Jamestown Township, Michigan, has seen challenges to its inclusion of books with LGBTQ plus subject matter, First for being arranged in Pride Month displays, then for being shelved whatsoever. You may recall me talking about this earlier this year. I believe it was actually during Pride Month that I brought this up. Books like Kiss Number 8 by Colleen A.F. Venable and Spinning by uh, Tilly Walden were reportedly targeted by name, as well as graphic novel Gender Queer, a memoir by Mata Kababi. The latter has prompted challenges all across the country for its visual depictions of sexuality. Even with the library agreeing to move that specific title behind the counter to be available only by special request, conservative citizens have been outraged enough to shoot down two crucial government funding agreements for the library this year alone. Following the first funding vote failure, a GoFundMe for the library took off online. Their regular annual funding of $245,000 a year was surpassed by public donations in just a few days, topped off by a $50,000 donation by best-selling author Nora Roberts. Uh, now that the latest vote has fallen through, a 10-year levy renewal integral to keeping the establishment running one more stunning donation has surprised library management in the best possible way. The Weirda family of nearby Georgetown Township signed a check for a whopping $100,000 for the library, seemingly out of the blue. Uh, so, hey, that's quite a thing. And to quote Andy Weirda of that family, Tracy and I have never set foot in the Patmos Library in Jamestown. However, just like a church, restaurant, school, etc., a library can be part of the hub of the community. Libraries also serve the most underserved in the community. Not everybody has access to multiple computers, tablets, phones, and high-speed Wi-Fi. Libraries give free access to the Internet, 
books and magazines along with a comfortable environment to utilize them. He went on to contend that most of the folks uh, railing against the library are probably not actually involved with the Jamestown community. He poses the question, how many people do you think could have named all six board members of the Patmos Library at the beginning of 2020? I'm betting it was only a handful. The uh, outrage is misguided at best. Out of an estimated 67,000 books on the shelf, the homophobic citizens are protesting a whopping 90 books. That's only about 0.015% of the library's inventory. The deal with queer themes. Uh, let's see here from a, uh, an official statement from the library. We will put this donation along with all the other donations that we have received to work in the best way that we can to keep the library open for as long as we can. Knowing that we are committed to keeping our great institution open and available for all to enjoy as long as possible. Wow. There's a little bit more to that article. I'll let you check it out if you want to and follow some of the uh, embedded links perhaps there uh, to get a little background on that. But wow, it's amazing. You know, here in Lincoln, we have a huge public library system that is very open and accepting, friendly to all within the community. And I, I just love our public library system. I don't use it near as much as I should. But I also have a huge library of my own that I haven't read, so give or take. But there's so many wonderful events that go on at the Lincoln Public Libraries. Uh, there's uh, meeting rooms and uh, social events and stuff like that that happen at the various branches. So if you're in the Lincoln area and you're not all that familiar with the Lincoln Library System, go check out your nearest branch and find out what's going on or check out their website. So, yeah, kind of fun there. And, you know, they have uh, audiobooks. They have uh, Braille books. They have, you know, all kinds of ways to be able to access the media. And when I say media, in this case, I'm talking about print, you know, books, magazines, newspapers, music and videos as well that are uh, accessible to just about everybody in the Lincoln community. And don't forget, interlibrary loan is also a possibility for those things that they may not have. But with as many branches as we have here in Lincoln, that's not going to be all that difficult to find what it is you're looking for. Just might have to get it from a different branch. Annie Boo Boo, let's go ahead and get to a music break here. I've got so many stories, but I've also got a lot of music that, yeah, yeah, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I, I don't want to you know, harp on the bad all that much, but I'm going to have to cover some of that. But let's just get to the music. We're going to... Okay, it's, it's Wham, but you're, you don't have to worry about losing Whamageddon yet. I'm not playing that. I swear. Unless somebody switched the titles on me here on the computer. We're going to hear Freedom by Wham. Uh, Freedom by Wham here on Lavender Hill. Well, I've got some more music for you, but I've also got a lot of stories, like I was saying right before starting that up. And we're going to go to a, uh, a religion and spirituality story, if you will. And this is coming from Texas. I found this on uh, the uh, uh, ABC affiliate down there, ABC Channel 13 or ABC13.com. And this is actually an article from the Texas Tribune by Jamie Lozano and Robert 
uh, Downen. This was uh, published on the website December 4th, last Sunday. Uh, and oh, it's a little interesting here. Uh, Dateline Lubbock, Texas. The Northwest Texas Annual Conference of United Methodist Churches started like a regular church service. Participants sang, took communion, then prayed before voting to split from the United Methodist Church, the nation's second largest Protestant denomination. And why would they do that? Hmm. The headline of the article, just in case you are curious, reads, Texas Methodist churches vote to split from denomination after years of infighting. Those leaving are frustrated that the church has taken positions that they feel are too liberal. Uh, to quote from uh, the presiding bishop, James G. Nunn, as he explained to his hundreds of congregants, um, we are a broken body, but it teaches us that the breaking is not the end. He was uh, talking during the communion. Uh, Nunn continued, calling the accompanied communion juice cups of forgiveness, and he prayed for the congregation's mercy and forgiveness toward one another. Even in the best of circumstances, there are feelings that are hurt, and sometimes relationships are rendered in two. Well, that's what he had to say. The Northwest Texas Conference, which includes about 200 churches from uh, far west Texas up through the panhandle, uh, the Lubbock gathering included 145 of those churches, about a third of the 439 Texas churches that finalized their departure from the denomination this past Saturday. The split, organized by more conservative church members, comes after years of infighting that stems from the UMC's more inclusive stances when it comes to congregants and acceptance of gay marriage and other divides that mirror and are likely to intensify America's broader ongoing polarization. The measure in Lubbock passed by a vote of 261 to 24. Hundreds more are expected to similarly uh, depart in the coming months after getting final approval from church leaders and join the Global Methodist Church, which would follow the same beliefs more conservatively. The UMC has four regional bodies in Texas, two of which met on Saturday, the one in Lubbock and another on the Texas Annual Conference in Houston. Uh, they're in the nation's fourth largest city. 1,245 members voted to approve the disaffiliation, with 3% voting to oppose the split and another 4% abstaining. Nearly half of the UMC congregations in East Texas, 294 churches, voted to leave the denomination as well. The fight within the denomination occurs at the UMC... Uh, uh, occurs as the UMC has expanded into more conservative areas of the world and it comes amid a national reckoning in broader American Christianity over similar questions about inclusivity and doctrinal alignment that have intensified. I'll let you read the rest of that article if you so desire because it is a rather lengthy one and there is some history of the uh, fight within the UMC that brought this about. That link will be posted to our Facebook page for Lavender Hill. But just wanted to, you know, sh get the conversation started, if you will, on that topic. And we're going to move on from there. All righty. Well, may have had some good news with uh, the Patmos Township Library. May have had some 
disaffiliation news there with the UMC. Now we're going to go on to a story about an anti-LGBT group that has threatened to sue writers for defamation and how the ACLU is standing up for them. ACLU is one of those very complicated legal entities out there because, you know, they fight for our rights. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of this, freedom of that. And they're very well known for being on one side here and on the other side over there. But they are fighting on principle. And I say that for now. All right. Molly Spray Reagan writing for LGBTQNation.com. Uh, this is uh, backdated a little bit here. This is from late October or early October, pardon me, but I did not get a chance to cover it. And it kind of goes along with some of the other things that I have lined up for you today. The ACLU of Illinois is speaking out in support of two Illinois residents after an anti-LGBTQ extremist organization threatened to sue them for defamation. Uh, both Maggie Romanovich and Kylie Spahn wrote online about their opposition to the anti-LGBTQ organization called Awake Illinois. In response, the group sent each of them a cease and desist letter threatening a defamation lawsuit if they did not delete their posts and refrain from any more public criticism of the organization. The ACLU then wrote letters back to Awake Illinois on behalf of Romanovich and Spahn, reminding the organization of their constitutionally protected speech. Uh, in part, that reads, Awake Illinois and its leaders frequently accuse their opponents of nefarious motives or deeds and use hostile epithets such as groomers, hateful, perverts, and criminal lying bastards, that's their words, to criticize those who disagree with them. And that's from senior staff attorney Rebecca K. Glenberg. Yet when others express their frank opinions about Wake, uh, excuse me, Awake Illinois, it responds with demands for silence. The contrast is striking. The letter be on behalf of Romanovich and Spahn discussed a letter to the editor that Romanovich wrote, um, published in the Daily Herald that Awake Illinois wanted gone. The letter to the editor, which urges residents not to uh, talk vote, not to vote, I believe is what it's supposed to be. There's a bit of a typo there. Uh, for Republican congressional candidate Keith Pacow, you may recall this was prior to the election uh, because of his, quote, alarming association with your organization is core political speech on a matter of public concern receiving the highest constitutional protection. An ample public record supports all factual statements in Ms. Romanovich's letter to the editor, and those statements are therefore not actionable. The bulk of the letter merely expresses the writer's opinion about Mr. Pacow and Awake Illinois. Neither the First Amendment nor the common law of Illinois allows Awake Illinois to recover damages or other relief against Ms. Romanovich for expressing her opinion that Awake Illinois is appalling, extremist, homophobic, racially insensitive, and otherwise objectionable. And of course, there is more to it including uh, a quote from uh, the letter that the ACLU wrote on behalf of Ms. Spahn, your boilerplate boiler 
letter to our client includes two attachments, both of which constitute political speech on matters of public concern, receiving the highest level of First Amendment protection. And, of course, the group sent a similar letter to Representative Sean Caston after he spoke out against them, and he refused to let it intimidate him. Good for them. All right, like I said, the ACLU can be sometimes a complicated legal entity, but they are very much in favor of free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of this, freedom of that, etc. All righty, well, we are halfway through the show, believe it or not. I've only covered a few stories, and I've got a lot more. There's going to be a lot of things posted over to the uh, Lavender Hill page today, I can pretty much guarantee you that. So let's get that bottom-of-the-hour break taken care of. When we come back, we'll have a twofer from Queen. You'll know what it is when it happens. And then I'll have some more news and commentary for you right after the break. What do you expect there? A little bit of Queen had to have some fun in there because, well, what I'm going to be covering is not the most fun thing in the world to talk about. But it is on everybody's mind, especially because of how recent the tragedy was. Yes, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Club Q in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Thanks to an article from LGBTQNation.com that was published on Tuesday, December 6th, Alex Bollinger writing. And it's a mixed bag because anything that we're talking about when it comes to Club Q is going to be a bit of a mixed bag right now. This is about the alleged shooter, and I say alleged because until he is convicted, he is innocent until proven guilty. That is how it works here in the United States, and there's a reason for that. Anywho, Anderson Lee Aldrich has been formally charged with, get this, 305 counts in relation to allegedly killing five people and injuring 18 in the mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs on November 19th. The charges include several hate crimes and murder. The 22-year-old Aldrich appeared in court this past Tuesday when District Attorney Michael Allen formally presented the state's charges. Judge Michael McHenry ordered that the arrest warrant affidavit be unsealed as of Wednesday. Allen didn't list all of the charges. That would have taken hours. Uh, But mentioned that they include, quote, many counts of bias-motivated crimes. We're not going to tolerate actions against community members based on sexual identity, Allen said. Members of that community have been harassed, intimidated, and abused for too long. He said that the number of charges shows how seriously the DA's office is taking the case. USA Today reports that Aldrich appeared to have recovered since their last court appearance in November, walking into the courtroom. After they allegedly opened fire at Club Q, Richard Fierro grabbed them from behind and pulled them down. Fierro started beating Aldrich with their own gun, and Thomas James, another patron of Club Q, kicked Aldrich about the face and head over and over. Now, there is a reason why we're using a gender-neutral term here, and this is going to really complicate matters for some people. Um... Let's see here. Let me get down to that. Um, after, of course, you know, they they address how his father reacted to things. Were, okay, so in court filings immediately after the shooting, 
Aldrich's lawyer referred to them with he, him pronouns, but by Tuesday after the shooting, the lawyer said that Aldrich is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns and wants to be addressed as Mix Aldrich, MX. Aldrich is being represented by state public defender's office lawyers. So... There you go. There's not a whole lot about his non-binary identity at this point in time, at least not in that article. But I thought it was worthwhile sharing that aspect of things with you. Like I said, it's going to complicate the matters for many people when it comes to talking about Aldrich and the alleged massacre. Well, okay, there's no alleging that it was a massacre because it was, but you know the the alleged crime there being committed by him. Okay. Oh, wow, it's always complicated, twisted, turny, and all that to talk about people in that regard until after the trial, where they're either found guilty or not guilty. Anywho, another article from Tuesday the 6th, Greg Owen writing for LGBTQNation.com, and this is stepping away from Club Q, but still going into some things that are very much of importance to the LGBT community. The headline reads, Gays Against Groomers. Yes, there is a group called that. Gays Against Groomers spars with counter-protesters during its anti-LGBTQ plus rally in Florida. Gays having an anti-LGBTQ plus rally? Well, it is Florida. All righty, so... Uh, a far-right anti-LGBTQ plus rally and photo op brought out several dozen attendees. Dozens. That's all it's listed as. Including the Proud Boys and passers-by on the beach in Fort Lauderdale's uh, rally this past Saturday against, quote, child grooming and, quote, radicalized sexual curriculum. Yeah, try that one on for size. The event was organized by a coalition of anti-LGBTQ plus advocacy groups and featured speakers from Moms for Liberty, Florida Fathers for Freedom, and the newest addition to the online anti-LGBTQ plus biosphere, Gays Against Groomers. A representative for that group was uh, among Fox News host Tucker Carlson's guests on his first show following the Club Q massacre. There is some kind of a connection there. Newly elected Broward County School Board member Brenda Pham, who ran on a platform supporting Florida's Don't Say Gay legislation and denouncing critical race theory for kids, also spoke at the rally. Both Pham and event organizer Moms for Liberty are staunch allies of Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis a.k.a. Florida man. Uh, DeSantis's dangerous anti-LGBTQ politics and rhetoric have created an anti-LGBTQ hysteria we haven't seen since the days of Anita Bryant and her Save Our Children campaign. That's according to Equality Florida Senior Political Director Joe Saunders posting on Twitter. Uh, During today's protest, an organizer of the hate rally aggressively taunted LGBTQ high school students calling out, Where's Jack? in an effort to intimidate high school student Jack uh, uh, Pedox, an organizer of the youth-led counter-protest. The counter-demonstration across the street from the beachside rally invited the attention of Gays Against Groomers founder conservative Ant, uh, who was recorded by co-founder Jordan Toast confronting the counter-protesters and mocking them. And yes, there is a brief video 
thanks to Gays Against Groomers that you can view, if you so desire, uh, by going to lgbtqnation.com. Wow, talk about complicated stuff going on here. Uh, one of the counter-protesters, a demonstrator, uh, uh, shouted at the gay conservative, you just came over here with Proud Boys, you're a Nazi. You're anti-gay, you're anti-gay, you're pro-grooming, he shouted back, laughing as a scrum of photographers recorded the scene and police officers stood by. So, wow, quite the confrontation there. Very complicated situation to try to address at this point in the show. So, let's see here. Do I want to go to music again or do I want to see what we've got going on over here? Yeah, we're going to go to music and then we're going to address this because, yeah... This is something, again, related to Club Q that is going to be of some importance to us here. So let's go ahead and take that music break. We are going to hear from Art Deco, and we'll just go from there, okay? All righty, that was Art Deco with uh, Nothing Ever Changes. Unfortunately, it does seem to be that way sometimes, but it does get better, at least according to the Trevor Project. All righty, John Russell writing for LGBTQNation.com on Monday, December 5th. Yes, I know most of my news is from early in the week. That's when I had a chance to do some looking around. And boy, did I find lots of things that I'm not going to have time for because we've only got about 10 minutes left in the show. But I wanted to make sure I addressed this. High-profile drag queens are now touring with armed security and metal detectors. Yes, you heard that right. Certain high-profile drag queens are taking security matters very serious. This is, of course, in the wake of the shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs. The attack left five people dead and more than a dozen injured after a shooter opened fire during a drag show. The shooting followed months of vir virulent anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric aimed at drag performers, both online and from Republican lawmakers, hoping to score political points by falsely painting drag queens as groomers and pedophiles. Now, several of RuPaul Drag Race's alums say they are traveling with increased security, using metal detectors at gigs and planning escape routes at venues. We're trying to smile and make people happy for the holidays, and in the back of our heads we're thinking, I hope I don't get shot. That's according to Jinx Monsoon talking with NBC News. Uh, Monsoon said she was already taking increased precautions due to hostility toward drag performers, which has led to far-right and white supremacist groups protesting at shows and drag queen story hours. Following the Club Q shooting, she says she has hired armed guards and banned re-entry at her shows. It's mortifying that we even have to think about these things for something as joyous and celebratory as a drag show, said RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 2 winner Alaska, who has planned escape routes and had police stationed down the block from venues. Why do we have to be worried about where the exits are and where a safe route to get to safety is? It's terrifying, but that's the reality of it. Drag Race Season 11 winner uh, Ivy, oddly, uh, shared an email from her management company saying they were hiring additional security for performers and would have security check patrons for guns at gigs. 
Monsoon said that her music videos had been flooded with hateful comments recently accusing her of sexualizing children. She added that the incendiary rhetoric and misinformation has begun to affect the way she interacts with fans. I don't like parents bringing their kids to meet me because I don't want to be seen next to a kid because I don't want to be labeled as a pedophile, she said. You start to mistrust yourself for no other reason than this language is just being put on you constantly. It is dehumanizing. It makes you feel insane just to be yourself. In a National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin, and you heard me talk about this last week, uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security warned that the LGBTQ plus community was among several potential targets for extremist violence inspired by the Club Q shooting and other bias-motivated attacks. A recent GLAD report found that there have been at least 124 protests and significant threats at drag events this year alone. That is pretty much the entirety of that article, and I'm not entirely sure how our local venues are addressing this uh, concern for increased security. I might have to reach out to some of them and find out. But I do know that coming up very soon is a... Uh, drag celebration here in Lincoln, Nebraska at our local venues. So uh, it might be something to keep your eye on there. But don't let it keep you from going out and enjoying the holiday season. Because I do know that the Lincoln community, the Omaha community, Nebraska as a whole does not put up with such incidences. Uh, attack is very very slim chance here in Nebraska. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, it is something we need to keep our eyes on. And yes, I am clenching my teeth here, trying not to go too far overboard with anything. But, you know, we really can't ignore it. Speaking of not being able to ignore things, uh, Putin is in the news again, affecting the LGBTQIA Soji community. Not just in Russia, but uh, his actions are kind of taking a, uh, a dive into how things might happen elsewhere in Europe and Asia. Uh, according to an article by the AP that was published on Monday, December 5th, Putin signs law expanding LGBT propaganda restrictions. Yeah, just as Ms. Greiner gets released. Mm -hmm. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Monday signed a law that significantly expands restrictions on activities seen as promoting LGBT rights in the country. A 2013 law banned what authorities deemed to be spreading, quote, propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations to minors. The new law expands that ban to spreading such information to people aged 18 and older. The new law outlaws advertising, media, and online resources, books, films, and theater productions deemed to contain such propaganda. So by those standards, Lady Gaga and Madonna's music is banned in Russia. Just to give you an example of an extreme thing that could be happening. And, well, it's Putin's regime, so I don't think it's all that extreme or outlandish that that could happen. Okay, woo, things went a little strange here on the computer because that's, uh, that, uh, uh, go, go away, go away. Go away. Wow, I tried to, to do something there and I got a pop-up wanting me to subscribe. Okay, 
Hey, it's the AP. I wouldn't mind subscribing, but I don't have time for that right now. Anyways, uh, this new law also broadens the existing restrictions by banning information about gender transitions to be spread to minors and bans information deemed to be propaganda promoting pedophilia. Well, that I don't really have a problem with if you're banning things that are specific to spreading pedophilia. But that's not what they're talking about here. Violations are punishable by fines and, if committed by non-residents, could lead to their expulsion from Russia. Well, no offense to our brothers and sisters in Russia, but right now I wouldn't want to go visit anyways. The fines range from 100,000 to 4 million rubles, which is about... uh, $1,660 to $66,000 for some violations. Foreigners could face 15 days of detention prior to their expulsion. And, well, Putin being former KGB, I think we kind of know how that might work. But I'm going to leave that lie. I'm getting ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson with the Women's Show. She's going to be interviewing, remind me her name, Deb. Diana Jones. She's going to be interviewing her in the first half hour or so of the show. And then I'm going to be sitting in playing musical tag with Deb. That's always a fun time. So stay tuned for all that here on KZUM. I'm going to send you out with some music here. And we're going to go to uh, Adim the Artist. Thank you, Twyla, for sharing his their music with me. Uh, so keep on listening here to KZUM. I'll be back next week with some more news, commentary, and music to make you think and dance.